Welcome to episode 32 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Woodwind. Hello. Hello. My name's Chris Bland. And my name's Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 32 of That Classical Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Today, we're going to talk about Woodwind. Chris, what are that? (laughs) (laughs) Woodwind. Uh, It's made of wood Wood. and you blow wind through it. The end. No. Uh, So it's one of the family of instruments. Uh, So previously, we've talked about strings. We've talked about the piano. You've got your brass and everything. Yeah. Basically, it's the instrument where you blow in one end, sound comes out the other, that isn't brass. Okay. Uh, they don't actually have to be made out of wood. They can be made out of metal too. Okay. Oh. Um, so it's different from brass in the way the sound is produced. So with a brass instrument, you purse your lips and blow a raspberry, and that sort of echoes you around the instrument. You literally blow a raspberry, yeah. don't you? Yeah. You're like... <clears throat> Yeah, it's amazing. Sorry, I just, I've always been fascinated by that. Does it make your lips really tired? Tweet us. If you're a brass player, let yeah. us know. We don't know. Go on. Uh, but the way the sound is produced in a woodwind instrument is that there's a stream of air that's split on a sharp edge, and that's what produces the sound. So, for example, on a flute, you blow, uh, and we'll go on to explain more about individual instruments later in the episode, but a flute, the stream of air that comes out is split on the sharp edge of the mouth hole. On reeded instruments, uh, so like a clarinet or an oboe, it's the air coming out of your mouth that's like split over the edge of the reed and makes the reed vibrate. Vibes. That's basically how the woodwind family is different from the other ones. Hashtag science. Traditionally, in a modern orchestra, you have uh, about four different kinds of woodwind instruments. So you've got your flute, you've got your clarinet, you've got mm. an oboe, mm-hmm. and you've got a bassoon. Mm. Now, on top of those, you've got all sorts of weird and wacky extra ones. So you've got a really small flute, it's called a piccolo, that's an octave higher. Yes. Uh, you've got, as well as the clarinet, you've got a bass clarinet that's lower. Uh, as well as an oboe, you've got a cor anglais, which is like a slightly longer version of an oboe. And the hilarious thing about this, right, is that the lower things are, the more massive they get, usually. Yeah. As instruments so it does get quite comical i'll talk about that later but um <laughs> well I, I won't go and talk about this later but oh. while i was researching so i'm going to be talking about a flute piece later in the episode awesome. it'll spoil it for you guys um there's a thing called i, I think it's called a hyper bass flute which seems <laughs> absurd it's like it's just a huge lead pipe it's enormous so like it stands on the ground and, like curls up on around itself and you have Shut to like up. put it on a stand and you play and it's just like what kind of noise does it still sound like a flute no it's utterly pointless the flute on steroids utterly pointless so that's your very very brief introduction to woodwind (laughs) and as i said we're gonna go through a bunch of different pieces today each highlighting a different member of the woodwind family so kelly what are you gonna start us off with starting us off today you'll be pleased to know it's wolfgang amadeus mozart lads love me some mozart um bit of moza Today, we're going to talk about Serenade Number no. 10 for winds in B-flat major, in case you were wondering. What I was it wondering, was in. Yeah. It's also known as uh, Grand Partita. Lovely. What a treat. So, BT dubs, a serenade is basically a sort of lighter piece of classical music. Mm-hmm. No, nobody's worried about making things dramatic over here. Do you know okay. what I mean? And also, a lot of the time, it's written for an event or like, you know, a oh, special okay. concept for a person. Yeah. Was this written for a special occasion? Uh... Well, this is the thing. So I was doing my research on this piece and nobody really knows anything about it, Chris. Okay. And like for a Mozart piece, it's actually a bit of a disgrace. Like nobody knows when it was really written or why it was really written. Some people think it was for a concert given by a famous clarinet man. 
aka clarinetist <laughs> if you want my technical term um, but unfortunately just no one really knows so we think it was written in 1781 okay because someone did a test on the paper that he used nice that's the only way well I guess given that Mozart he wrote so so many pieces that not every single one can have an amazing story behind it that right? is very true yeah he was, and, he was just churning them out but so. I will tell you this for free let's get real I'm not not saying that I didn't not discover this piece through the critically acclaimed 1984 oh. film Amadeus. <laughs> Kelly, is your entire knowledge of any music just through Amadeus okay, no, or anime? No, no, listen. The point is, you know, this <laughs> film introduced me to Mozart on like a, a personal, All right. like grown-up level. And it has it was... nothing to do with the fact that you fancy the main actor. <laughs> Tom Holtz, yeah, he's great. But, um, but basically, like, it was the first time I listened to an, an entire album of Mozart. All right. And this piece was was on it and in the film it's introduced to you in this way that it is just unforgettable because okay. the character of Salieri has just met Mozart and absolutely hates him thinks he's sure, a total gay. Sure. do you know what I mean and then he sees this piece of music on a music stand this piece that we're hearing today the serenade mm. and he is just amazed by it and he thinks it's sort of the voice of God and things <laughs> like that so I'll put I'll put the clip on Twitter it is amazing <laughs> But so, before we hear it, the two main woodwind vibes we're talking about here are the oboe and the clarinet. Lovely. Okay. Let me tell you a little story about the oboe. It was invented around the 1600s, right? But it is technically kind of the upgrade from an instrument called the shawm. Have you heard of it? Vaguely, It's like yeah. a big pipe with holes big in pipe it. Big pipe with holes in it, cool. It. Well, that's what all woodwind instruments are. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's been around since like 2800 BC. Cool. Okay, so around the 1600s, they were like, we can do better. My favourite fact about this is that it used to be called the whole boy. The whole boy. The whole boy, uh, which I find hilarious. Because in French, it used to be called the haute bois, like high wood. Um... And as like British people tend to do, we often butcher the French language. Oh boy. So like haute bois became whole boy. Whole boy. Well done, everyone. So first things first. Layman's terms, people. The oboe is a double reeded woodwind instrument. Did you mention this before, Chris? Very briefly, but explain to me, what's a double reed instrument? <laughs> I'll do it. That basically just means that the reed, so the tiny wooden looking little thingamabob <laughs> that's at the top of the oboe, that is made of two teeny pieces of cane, okay? Oh. That is the double reed. And they're slapped together and then they vibrate, right, when you blow through it. Mm. And you have to put your lips over your teeth. Again, like audio that. medium, Kelly. They can't really like this. Uh, and then you like blow. And then that sound sort of travels through the instrument yeah. and out through the bell end. And <laughs> then... Uh, Technical and that, terms, and people. That's, and that's what gives you that really... The double read itself is what gives the over that really like nasal, like, <laughs> like you know, yeah. piercing, one might say. Same. So I'm going to go on to talk about the bassoon. And the bassoon is right. the other main double readed instrument. There we go. And that's also got a... <laughs> there you go. So uh, what, right, what have we got? It's made of wood. It, it's got a double read. And it's got a bunch of metal keys, all right? And the metal keys cover the actual holes mm -hmm. on the pipey instrument thing. <laughs> Technical term. And when you close those holes, yeah. the instrument is lower. Correct. Than when you, yes. Than when you, uh, but when you open those holes, the instrument's note gets higher. So basically, you finger these metal keys mm -hmm. to decide which holes you want to open yeah. and which holes you want to close. And that's the same basic principle for pretty much all modern right. woodwind instruments. The more 
keys you press down, the lower the note. That's it. That's it. Don't overcomplicate things. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's that. And as you said before, you can get smaller sizes and, and different versions. Like mm-hmm. the Cor Anglais is part of the oboe family. You've got the oboe d'amour, which is basically like a chill version of the oboe. <laughs> and it's like a little bit lower and a little bit just nicer. Okay. Um, and things like that. So then that brings me on to the clarinet, okay, which is... Don't hit me, clarinetists or oboists, but it's kind of similar to the oboe in some ways. Sure, okay. Right, yeah, okay. Sure. But it's a bit more mellow, okay? It's yeah. like a rounder, deeper sound, but it's not a double reeded instrument. It's got a single reed. What? Yes, it works. So that means there's a reed <laughs> and you shove it up against an actual mouthpiece, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then the reed vibrates against the mouthpiece in the little kind of, and there's a little, you know, a little space in between. Where you and, blow into and the reed vibrates against right. the mouthpiece and that's what and creates that, the noise. Got it. See, Chris Got is it. on top of this. Chris knows. <laughs> um, Squidward plays a clarinet. And that's, <laughs> that's all the facts I have about the clarinet. So uh, you enjoy that. So back to the piece we're going to hear today. It's the third movement. It's the adagio of the serenade, mm-hmm. the grand partita. And you're going to hear this kind of pulsing background to begin with, right? Those are the bassoons. This pumping bass line. Ooh. And then over the top of it, there's going to be a note, okay? Oh. There's going to be a note. You'll know when it happens. <laughs> See if you can figure out, from what I've just told you about the oboe and the clarinet, which one it is, Ooh, okay? Interactive podcasting. Interactive podcasting. I'll see you on the other side. me a bit of Mozart. Oh my days. So good, ladies ladies and gents, <laughs> that was an oboe. The first thing you heard coming in, that was an oboe. And then a clarinet took it over. What a good right? game. What do they win <laughs> if they got it right? Isn't this fun? Learning. <laughs> Learning is fun. Um, but no, I actually, I, I think it's a great example of how an oboe and a clarinet sound side by side. So you can yeah. hear the difference. So yeah. the oboe had that really clear and piercing kind of sound. Although, Whereas the clarinet sounds a bit more sort of like mellow and rounded yeah. as opposed to the slightly right. sort of more sharper tone of but the oboe. That oboe absolutely kills me. I, I, <laughs> honestly, and it's so clear up there. That it sounds like a violin or something. Mm. Like, I've listened to a lot of different versions this week. And first of all, every single one gave me goosebumps every time, which was just not efficient <laughs> listening. Um, but it's it's just that purity of sound. It's mm. almost confusing to my to my brain hole. Uh, but yeah, so that was Serenade Number no. 10 for wins in B-flat major or Grand Partita. If you do listen to the whole thing. That is my favourite movement of it, but the rest of it's also, you mm. know, tickety-boo. So say you've given me a newfound enthusiasm for both the oboe and the clarinet, Which Kelly, I absolutely have. Which yeah. you absolutely have. Mm. What else should I listen to? Well, I think if you are genuinely interested, you can which go I am. out. Which you are. If you want to hear more on the clarinet sort of uh, orchestral pieces, go and research people like Poulenc and Gershwin, even Brahms did stuff for clarinet with the mm. orchestra. 
for the oboe, our mate Ray Fawn Williams. Lovely. He, he wrote did... stuff for the Hoboy. Oh, oh boy, he did an <laughs> and... oboe concerto, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, Telemann, Taffel music, Telemann. Um, he did stuff for the oboe and Poulenc again. He loved he loved a good wind. Poulenc generally for for woodwind is a really good shout. Right? There's lots of entry stuff, so he wrote loads of chamber stuff for a bunch of different woodwind instruments uh, and was really good at making them work as an ensemble as well as writing really interesting individual lines for them so Poulenc definitely for any woodwind well lad that classical podcast right now it's my turn to talk to you about the flute so I don't know if I've ever mentioned this about a million times (laughs) but I grew up as a flautist flautist as a flautist as a flute player Mm -hmm. I haven't touched it in a little while, but played it for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, it remains my first musical love. If you remember in our first few episodes of that classical podcast, you did play a few stings on the flute. I Do did. You know Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Next time. So the flute actually is the oldest existing example of a musical instrument that we still have. So they've got carved thigh bones of a bear that they found in a cave with sort of a mouth hole and some finger holes drilled into it. Uh, and, you know, people probably sang or hit rocks or whatever before that. Classic. <laughs> but it's it's really difficult to prove that this rock was used as a drum, right? Okay. So the oldest existing example of a, of an instrument we have, and we're talking like tens of thousands of years old Amazing. here. Amazing. Like really, really old instruments. Mm. And almost, I'd say, it's one of the instruments that we have that is the closest to the human voice in terms of the way you produce it. Okay. So there's the least between you and the sound production. So... With a violin, you're playing strings with a mm-hmm. bow. With a, right. a reeded instrument like the oboe or the clarinet, you're blowing into the reed, and that's what produces the sound. Mm-hmm. With a flute, all the sound comes from your breath, so the jet of air that you're producing. So you hold a flute sideways to your right-hand side, uh, and right. you blow across a hole rather than into a hole. Right. So the, the jet of air coming out of your mouth goes over the it's called the mouthpiece or the mouth hole, and it catches on the edge of this mouth hole, sends some of the air shooting down the flute, mm-hmm. and that's what makes the sounds. Right. So same as with the oboe with all other woodwind instruments. Right. The more keys you press down, it sends the air further down the flute, making it lower, effectively. Right, got it. I mean, there's, you know, there's variations on that, but that, broadly speaking, is what happens. <laughs> and really interestingly about the flute, more so than with pretty much any other instrument, because there's so little in the way of the person playing it and the actual instrument the quality of a flute or the construction of a flute matters much much less than with other instruments so for example an example that we know about that we've talked before someone playing like a cheap violin versus someone playing a Stradivarius violin very different it's going to be really really different because Mm. of the the sound quality and the projection and the resonance and the volume and all that stuff Mm really gets boosted by having a very expensive violin so there's some of that to an extent so if you're playing like a very very cheap flute that's made out of tin and doesn't work properly or indeed a bare bone (laughs) or if you're playing so some professional flautists will play like solid silver gold solid platinum flutes even why because they is can. it like Vanessa May playing on like a diamond violin? <laughs> Did she ever do that? I think I don't know. Probably. <laughs> anyway, so actually, what really makes the difference on a flute is your technique and how good of a musician and flautist you are. Right. Which, I, know, I thought it was kind of what interesting. What if your breath is a bit dodgy? Does it make? Well, it... then you're not a good you flautist. Which means do is if you've got smelly breath. Uh, no, but you know, it's like if if it's all about the breath, then do people have different qualities or strength of? breath do you know what i mean uh well maybe to an extent but i guess if you're like properly trained then, then it's you're not gonna a prop. be it's not a prop then you got all the breath control you need nice 
So the piece I'm going to talk to you about today that features the flute. Now, Kelly, you're very lucky because I could have talked about J.S. Bach again because, you know, he, as well as writing some of the greatest music ever, also wrote for the flute because, of course, he did because he's the greatest. Uh, So instead, what I'm going to be playing for you, not a cheap knockoff of Bach at all by any means, still a wonderful piece in its own right. Uh, It's by Debussy and it's called Prelude à l'après-midi d'un fun. What an absolute tune. It is. So this was written in 1894 and was Debussy's response to a poem by a French writer called Malarmé, who wrote a poem called L'après-midi d'un faun, which is the afternoon of a faun. Nice. And so Debussy wrote this musical prelude to it. And the story behind it basically is there's a faun who's lazy. He sits in some grass. uh, He's idly watching some sexy naiads and nymphs go by, playing his flute, being like, "Mm, damn, those those are some nymphs and some naiads. Love me some nymphs and naiads. Uh, He pursues them romantically without any success. And then he falls asleep and has loads of weird dreams. Cheese, Cheese dreams. Maybe Jesus. Been there. So this is a full piece for orchestra, but it has a beautiful solo flute opening, which we're going to listen to now. you want to do a big sigh doesn't it ah, like you just oh, I love <laughs> Debussy so much it's great well exactly and that's the whole point of this piece that it's meant to be really sort of sensual and he's like damn nymphs watching <laughs> watching uh, nymphs <laughs> while playing his pipe and sitting in the grass <laughs> stop saying playing his pipe <laughs> sorry go on his flute <laughs> um, doesn't get any better does it anyway <laughs> that's Prelude à la Primidi d'un fun other flute stuff there's so much. Yeah. So other stuff by Debussy. He's got a solo piece called Syrinx, which is, again, is in this vague sort of pan mm, nymph naiad world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, really, really beautiful. If you want to go a bit more old school, there's loads of incredible Baroque writing for the flute. So, oh, I don't know, some some Baroque composer, <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe J.S. Bach or something, oh, okay. yeah. has written loads of incredible partitas. So mm-hmm. like solo pieces for the flute, mm-hmm. just fantastic stuff. The flute is quite popular as a kind of solo instrument though isn't yeah, it yeah yeah they're like flute concertos there are they're not as widespread as other concertos okay. mainly because the flute isn't that loud an instrument right so even at its loudest battle with the orchestra yeah over yeah, a yeah. symphony orchestra playing mm. at full whack it can't really compete with that in terms of volume yes. mm-hmm. uh so no generally full concertos there are some but they're less popular or okay. they're with chamber orchestras mm-hmm. Then, in terms of what's happening with the flute now, uh, you may know of jazz flute. There's a lot of jazz flute going around. <laughs> right, yeah. Because <laughs> um, the thing you can do on, I mean, I'm sure you can do this on uh, other woodwind instruments. I'm just speaking from like personal experience that I know, is that you can do, because you have nothing between you and the instruments, you can do loads of cool stuff, what's known as multiphonics, where you can sing at the same time as playing the flute. Oh my God, stop it. So you can harmonise yourself. You can, uh, have you ever seen videos of a flute beat? Boxer, 
It's incredible. Oh my, we'll uh, put it on Twitter. Put five yeah, on, yeah, put it yeah. on it's Twitter. It's incredible. So beatboxing at the same time as playing the flute, incredibly cool. Mm. So there's all sorts of extended techniques and really cool stuff that you can do with a flute. Mm. Uh, one piece that I'd really recommend that you look for is called Zoom Tube. Slightly weird name. That's a great name for a flute. Well, yeah, that's what you should call a flute. Yeah. Uh, but it's incredible. It uses loads of these extended techniques where you sort of whisper into the flute and you play notes, but you don't... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, there's another piece by... I think it's Kaya Sariaho, who we've mentioned in a previous episode, yes. where you literally speak French poetry into your flute. Like, you're not playing, you're just speaking poetry into the flute, and then you keep on playing the flute. So there's there's all sorts of really cool stuff. That, that actually sounds incredibly cool, and I want to listen immediately. There's loads of really cool stuff you can do with the flute, and I love it very much, and that is the flute. <laughs> that classical podcast. Next up, we've got... Fantasia for soprano saxophone. Yes, I said it. What? And chamber orchestra by Hator Villalobos. Lovely. Yes, I said a saxophone, Chris. A saxophone? In a classical context what? slash sphere. What is going on? Well, I'll tell you. But first of all, I'll tell you this. Hator Villalobos is a really cool guy, right? Mm. And I didn't really know much about him before. Yeah, no, he's great. But he's this Brazilian composer. He was born in 1887. And he wrote over 2,000 works before he died wow. in 1959 so he is sort of more a modern sort of turn century composer kind of mm-hmm, dude mm-hmm. Uh, I won't go into his his life story because we'll study him in another episode but I like his style mm. to be continued fab so the saxophone saxophone confession time I forgot that the saxophone was a woodwind instrument <laughs> until approximately five days ago <laughs> take that years of musical education <laughs> What did you think it was? I just, or I guess in my brain, I've never really listened to anything classical on the saxophone. Mm, I don't, yeah, I, as far fair. as I know. Nor have I really, yeah. Um, so I was like, what? And then uh, someone reminded me and I was like, great shout. Oh, yeah. And frankly, in my defence, you wouldn't <laughs> think it was woodwind because it looks like it should be in the brass family because it is made... It looks like a brass, but as we've discussed, what makes woodwind different from brass? The splitty air. The splitting air thing rather the... than a raspberry you blow into it. Smashed it. <laughs> so yeah, right. And and the saxophone is woodwind because, and it's got a reed, you know, it has that process. And it's a it's very similar mouthpiece reed. to a clarinet, right? Exactly right, because it's the, it's the single reed reed which is shoved gently up against a mouthpiece and it's all vibrating and you know the drill so just a quick quick background on the sax uh, it was invented in 1846 by adolf sax oh unfortunate name <laughs> i mean you wouldn't meet anyone today called given that both of those words now have very much different meanings <laughs> yeah, but... i mean very few baby adolfs if but your last name's sax baby... you're probably baby adolf you just don't see it but to be fair he was born in like the 1800s sure okay yeah so it we'll was, give him it's a fine break. all right okay but basically he made the saxophone as an improvement on the bass clarinet right which uh, the bass clarinet mm. looks like some frankenstein's monster clarinet saxophone mistake so like it, yeah, it's it got does it's a, got like, like a, a long thin body but then the it curves end, up it curves up into it. Right. it honestly google bass clarinet it's it looks wrong so <laughs> he's got loads god's own mistake <laughs> right so you've got loads of different saxophones in the family. I'm going to go through them all. You've got Sopranissimo, sopra- Sopranino, and they're both super high. Then you've got Soprano saxophone. Think Kenny G. Love you, Kenny. Uh, and then you've got Alto saxophone, Tenor saxophone, Baritone saxophone, Bass, Contrabass, and Sub Contrabass. Now, the Sub Contrabass saxophone is the size of a large 
person. And it basically sounds like tuneful farts. Lovely. And, and honestly, you've got to see it to believe it. I'll post a, a video on Twitter. It's enormous. It's, I mean, it's the size of a person slash two people. You have to put it on a stand. Yeah. And it's... it's What's with them making all these, like, absurdly large woodwind instruments? What is the point? Who writes for these? What do they, what do they add? I know, and they must each cost, like, thousands right. and thousands and thousands of pounds. Crazy. Unbelievable. Uh, but, yeah, so just for <laughs> people who aren't sort of overly familiar with saxophones, so the ones that you see most often with the curve on the end, that's going to be an alto or a tenor saxophone. Right, exactly. Those are the most... Well, like, when you think of a cartoon saxophone... That's what you're yeah, getting, basically. Yeah, a tenor and alto. Yeah, so soprano, which we're going to hear, yes. looks a bit more like a clarinet, right? Like a golden clarinet. It does, yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't have that, like, curvy bit. Yeah, um, just straight all the way down. Even though Kenny G always is holding, like, a tenor sax instead of a soprano sax. I've definitely seen him with a soprano sax, I think. Okay, whatever, maybe I'm wrong. Kenny, love you. Anyway, so Hector Berlioz, do you remember we talked about him in our Christmas episode? He was the first guy ever to write a piece for the saxophone before it was even registered as a thing. What? Because uh, Adolf, um, you know, gave him all the deets. Mr. Sax, yeah. yeah. Gave him all the deets and he was like, there you go. Anywho, we're going to talk about Fantasia for soprano sax, right? Lovely. And uh, Haytor wrote this Fantasia sort of like solo piece, I guess, in 1948. And it really is actually one of the most popular classical pieces out there uh, for soprano sax. And I think... It can sometimes also be played by the tenor sax as well. Sure. But it doesn't sound as nice. <laughs> and he wrote it originally for this like sax virtuoso man called Marcel Mule, who never bloody performed it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like getting a gift at Christmas. Like, thanks, I'll definitely use oh, this. Oh, yeah, that's, thanks so that's much. lovely. Yeah. I definitely need a facial steamer. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it was premiered eventually in 1951 by a different bloke entirely. Mm-hmm. Let's have a listen. Do let's. It's delightful. Here we go. Yeah. yeah, they should use saxophone more often, I think. I one just... one thing that is notable about that is, so obviously a soprano saxophone does have a lot in common with a clarinet, so that sounds closest to a clarinet, but I guess because you've got right. this metal body so and the flared end, it sort of brings a bit more of the brassiness into it. Uh, it feels less subtle than a clarinet to me. Exa- so right. I think I would personally prefer to hear a clarinet play that melody. Get in the bin immediately. <laughs> By the way, that was the third move and I didn't say that was très animé um, uh-huh. for anyone who wanted to know. Uh, but I, I actually love that and I, okay. I quite like the unsubtlety of it. Okay, and actually right. on the different versions that I heard, it was even more like, <laughs> like in your face, I'm a saxophone, nice. hi. But even so, Chris, didn't you think... I, I thought it was quite dreamy still with what yeah, the no, strings def- and stuff were doing. Mm, there's definitely a lot of untapped potential for classical saxophone playing and writing, right? definitely. It yeah. didn't sound out of place, did it? No. But also, I guess there was some jazziness in there too. It was Because it's a bit of a... <laughs> jazz, baby, jazz. A bit of a crossover. But anyway, so, saxophone. Going forward, if you want to hear more, there are many saxophone-based treats 
awaiting you. Oh, delightful. Uh, such as Glazunov. Uh, he wrote some stuff for the saxophone. Vaughan Williams, again, loved a bit of woodwind he did. He did. Um, Prokofiev in Romeo and Juliet. You know the dance of the nights, the dum 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 Saxophone in that. Oh, really? Who knew? Oh. Uh, Rachmaninoff used saxophone in his symphonic dances. Oh, um, yeah. There's just so much. One that I discovered really recently, which I really think is worth a listen, uh, is by a Japanese composer called Takashi Yoshimatsu, and mm-hmm. he wrote a piece called Cyberbird. It is stunning. It actually really reminds me of the soundtrack of like Hayao Miyazaki films, if you like those, the kind of quite dreamy okay. sort of music. It, yeah. I'd definitely check him out, Takashi. I'll, uh, I'll put him on the old uh, Spotify playlist. Uh, yes, that was the saxophone. That classical podcast. The last woodwind instrument we're talking about today is, of course, the bassoon. The bassoon, love it. The bassoon. So this is a long red wooden instrument that sort of curves back on itself uh, with a metal, what's called a crook, which is a curvy piece where you fit the reed on the end. So it's tall, tall, thin, bends back on itself. So it stands about four foot five inches tall Mm -hmm. when it's folded up. The full length is about double that. So it's a very big instrument compared to the others. Yeah, yeah. So this, much like the oboe, is a double reeded instrument. So you've got a little wooden bit sticking out, which again is two very thin bits of cane, which are tied together. Vibing. You blow through it and it goes... And then makes the bassoon (laughs) do its thing. Mm -hmm. So because it's bigger, you can't hold it in the same way that you hold other woodwind instruments usually people have a a strap around their neck Mm -hmm. um, which supports the weight of the bassoon or they'll put a little stand on the bottom like they do for a cello right that sort of thing Mm -hmm. one interesting thing about the bassoon is that for some reason it's got fiendishly difficult fingering compared to the other woodwind instruments so i don't know uh ask a bassoon maker so your (laughs) your thumbs have a lot more to do basically i think it's your left thumb has about five different keys that it can play and so you're jumping around with that all the time and it's yeah, it's I don't supposed like to be, that. I don't like that no. at all. It's, it's supposed to be really <laughs> difficult to play. Yeah. So the history of the bassoon is that it originally mostly functioned as part of a continuo bass line. So as we've mentioned in continuo. the Baroque period, yeah. you have a continuo, which is the, the bass line basically over yeah. which solo instruments Doing play. And so it would usually just completely double up with the cellos or the basses right. and just sort of add a bit of oomph, oomph. to the mm-hmm. to the bass line. But by the classical era, it starts getting its own independent melodies and parts within orchestral writing. Nice. So Mozart actually was one of the first people to be like, bassoon, let's see what you got. Well, we heard the bassoon in the uh, serenade. For example. Played, so yeah, put yeah. that in your pipe and proverbially smoke it. <laughs> so from this period onwards, it becomes more like the other woodwinds, uh, even getting it. Its own solo parts and melodies occasionally. Shut so, the front what? Door. wow. However, the piece we're going to listen to today is actually one where it does double and copy the strings. So, this mm. is the Hall of the Mountain King. <gasps> yes, used to play this on the violin back in the day. Terrible, really? absolutely terrible. So, this was written by Grieg, who, if you remember, was our Norwegian big dog, mm-hmm. and he wrote incidental music to a play called Peer Gint. And so this is from that. Now, interestingly, I found out whilst researching this that Hall of the Mountain King is actually not a direct translation of the the, the original text. What? 
So it's called E Dovregubben's Hall. Forgive my Great terrible. Accent, I think it's Loving Danish it. originally, yeah. rather than Norwegian. So uh, Dovre is a region in Norway, like a mountainous region, and Gubbe means like old man. So this is actually the name of the troll king. So it's like the old man from Dovre's hall in, way in less, his hall. Way less dramatic. But anyway, this is the name yeah. of a troll king. Great. You know I love a troll and a goblin. That you do. <laughs> and so this music accompanies Pierre Gint, the main character, entering into this troll king's hall, basically. Okay. Uh, so there's a great crowd of troll courtiers, gnomes, goblins, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. <laughs> okay. A troll jester, mayhap. Who knows? Right. Uh, and then, did you know, it's got lyrics. <laughs> yeah. So there's a song that goes with it. And then... <laughs> So this is translated, of course, from the original. This is the English version of it. Um, it goes, blah, 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 blah. Then all the trolls are saying, may I hack him on the fingers? May I tug him by the hair? Hoo, hey, let me bite him in the haunches. Shall he be boiled into broth and brie to me? Shall he roast on a spit or be browned in a stew pan? Ice to your blood, friends. <laughs> They're trolls. What, Wait, what can I say? Does this go to the tune? Like... I is to all your blood, my friends, in the pot, here's a skewer. Like, uh, not is, quite, no, is, okay. not quite. Uh, let's have a listen to it now, though. Very, very famous. Uh, you'll hear the bassoons being all lovely and deep and rich mm. and reedy and woody and windy. Woody. So, of course, that's only the build-up, and it's at the end when all the voices come yeah, in. They're yeah. like, ah, ah, kill him! Sit Slay. in the pot! Yeah. <laughs> and then Can the, I eat his legs? Like, the mountain yeah. king old troll man is like, ice in your blood! So, right, yeah, got, very gotcha. exciting. No, that, I thought that's quite torturous, listening to that bit. And I guess it must be slightly torturous for the orchestra as well, having to go so slowly and then building it up, like, really gradually. It's such a great, such a great tune, lads. It's really cool. So, <laughs> Grieg actually himself said about this piece, For the Hall of the Mountain King, I've written something that so reeks of cowpats, ultra-Norwegianism... What? Uh, blah, 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 that I can't bear to hear it, though I hope that the irony will make itself felt. Weeks so, of cowpats? Well, yeah, because it's so Fantastic. sort of like... <laughs> It's so earthy and like, right. it's like a parody of scary music almost. Got like it, he was it. writing it to be over the top. Yeah. So again, we didn't, that's just the intro to it. Mm. But it goes through this amazing, what's called an accelerando, which is the Italian word for speeding up. So it just speeds up and gets more frenetic and then the trolls all sing. So yeah, it is, it is sort of a parody of like, scary music. <laughs> well, it's brilliant. I love it. It works very well. So what should we listen to if we want to explore the bassoon further? Well, uh, Peter and the Wolf actually is a really good one. Yes, such a good <laughs> uh, Which is a good feature for all of... All of the woodwind all instruments. All of the woodwind instruments, actually, yeah. Mm, um, 
The Sorcerer's Apprentice by a composer called Ducat. Yes, yeah, so from Fantasia, you know, yeah. Mickey Mouse doing all his broom shiz. <laughs> Etc. For a more atypical type of bassoon playing, the opening of The Rite of Spring by Stravinsky, that's got a bassoon playing yes. way up in its upper Beautiful. register. Mm. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. And actually, one piece, loath as we are to talk about it, actually bolero by ravel so annoyingly actually does show off all the woodwind instruments pretty well because that insipid tune gets passed around to each of the woodwinds but you will notice that we are not recommending you you go out and listen to it (laughs) just noting that it does feature a lot of woodwind absolutely and that's all So that was our episode on woodwinds. Doot, doot. Doot, doot. Uh, we hope you really enjoyed it. We hope you learned about single and double reeded oh, instruments baby. and tell everyone you know. If you want to get in touch with us about anything, about flutes, about oboes, about whatever you like, you can find us on all our social media outlets, aka vis-a-vis Facebook, if you type us into Facebook. We're also on Twitter, we're at That Classical. We're on Instagram, at That Classical Insta. Uh, you can email us, we're thatclassicalemail at gmail.com. And if you just want a simple version of everything I just said, you can just go to our website, www.thatclassicalpodcast.com and find all of it on there absolutely and then once you've done all that if you wouldn't mind heading over to (laughs) iTunes or indeed your podcast downloader of choice Mm. leaving us a little review maybe letting the world know what you think of the podcast ideally it would be five stars five stars otherwise we'll see you on the next episode bye bye bye